The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. I could have a couple of the men maybe help me distribute the study sheets this morning. While they're doing that, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter number 10. Well, I hope everyone is having a happy Easter morning and uh, looking forward to a nice day with family and, and friends. I think everyone... Has a study sheet. Let's look at Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we have together. I pray that you would bless this time, that you would use these words that will be spoken today to instruct us and to encourage us and to edify us in our faith. Thank you for this time now we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. You know... That is the plight of so many people. This world is covered with people that are sincere in their religion. Uh, they really, they really believe in what they believe in. And they're zealous. But as Paul said, they're ignorant. They're ignorant of God's righteousness. And they are attempting to live a life of righteousness by their own understandings. And so it is our task, it is our job as, as God's children to be a witness unto this world. Uh, it is the responsibility of this pulpit to proclaim truth from the word of God, not from the local newspaper, not from the local television stations. It is, it is the responsibility of the pulpit of, of, of the church to proclaim Truth and righteousness and salvation from the word of God. But it is also the responsibility of every member of Berean Baptist Church and every other church to go forth into, into the community on your jobs, at the markets, uh, wherever it may be, and proclaim that truth. Because men are ignorant and they must be educated to the truth. We have the truth, so it is our job, it is our responsibility to carry it into the world. Now, we've been studying for quite some time about the grace of God. We've looked at all different, all different aspects and phases and, and, and intricacies concerning the grace of God. And two weeks ago, I began a summation of, of everything we've taught. We talked about the majesty of God's grace. And today, I want to... Um, continue by looking at the magnitude of, of grace. The magnitude of grace. 
the ladies earlier were, were, were before services were playing, and they were playing Amazing Grace. And I thought about that verse, Marvelous Grace of our loving Lord, Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Uh, that verse that I selected to, to, to frame my, my, my lesson on today states, Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. The magnitude of the grace of God. God's grace is greater than all our sin. It, it is farther reaching than, than the power of sin in our lives. When, when you consider the grace of God, um, we have to realize how far-reaching it is and how deep it is. We could study the grace of God. We could study the grace of God every Sunday for a thousand years and still barely even begin to comprehend how, how magnificent God's grace really is. So I want, to, I want us to consider today the magnitude of grace. You should still be in Romans chapter 10. Let's look at verse number 8. Eight. Paul writes, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul states in verse 12 that there is no difference. No difference between the Jew. No difference uh, between the Greek. Now we all know that the Jews... That Israel is God's chosen people. They are the seed of Abraham, and God chose them, and, and, and they are his, his, his chosen people. Yet there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, because God shows no favor. Paul establishes here the truth that all men are equally under sin. All men are depraved. Uh, salvation is not distributed by superiority of carnal descent or fleshly privilege. Uh, you can't be born into salvation. It's not, it's not for, unique for the rich or, or unique for the poor. Salvation is, is, is of God. Grace is of God. And it is freely distributed by God to all whom God chooses. All men are lost in sin. Every man that was ever born has been lost in sin. We are born in sin, under sin. We are, we are born into sin. We grow and, and we develop into sin. This truth negates the notion that if God chooses some men to eternal life, then he must choose other men for eternal damnation. I've had people tell me before, because I believe in election, when they say, well, you believe that God calls people to be saved, and I believe the scripture teaches that. So they say, well, so you must, you must believe that God, uh, 
uh, calls some men to go to hell. And I, no, doesn't have to. Why doesn't God have to call some men to hell? Can anyone tell me? Because all men are condemned to hell. All men are sinners. They're already condemned to hell. Would it, would it, were it not that God chooses, chooses to save those whom He chooses to save, then no men would be redeemed. No man would be redeemed. All men would spend eternity in hell. So, let's understand right away. God doesn't call some men to hell and some men to heaven. All men are headed for hell. But God has called a remnant. He's called a people. He's called, He's chosen. And He's called some to faith. And it is God that that awakens our dead souls. It is God that quickens us. It is God that reveals to us the truth that can only be revealed by the Holy Spirit. Natural man, the Bible tells us, receiveth not the things of God, for they are spiritually discerned. Natural man cannot understand truth. He can understand a form of truth, as we as we said earlier, being ignorant of God's righteousness, they, they, they try to establish their own righteousness. Man tries to formulate his own opinions. He formulates his own faith. But he does it in ignorance because he's unaware of the truth of God. Listen, I grew up, I grew up a religious person. I grew up in a very religious home. Um, my father, mother and father are Roman Catholics. And my father was a was the was the, the president of the Knights of Columbus, and religious. We were very religious. We were in we were in church every week, and uh, I was an acolyte. I was an altar boy, and uh, I had to serve every every morning in the summer. Every morning, 5 a.m., my mother would drive me to the church, and I would I would I would serve there, and, and every day. And I grew up very religious, but I was ignorant. I was ignorant of spiritual truth. I had no idea who God even was. I, I, I believed in a God, but I did not believe in the God of Israel. I did not believe in the I am God. And I'll never forget that day that God opened my eyes to the truth of his word, and I was saved, and everything in life was new, everything changed, everything had meaning, everything had had purpose. You see, I was ignorant. I was lost. And God, it is God who awakened me. It is God who enlightened me. It is God who revealed truth to me. And it is God who reveals truth to you as well. So we need to understand that all men are condemned to hell. And if it, not, if it were not for the work of God then no man would be saved. Paul confirms that God has chosen men from every walk of life, Jews and Gentiles, from every nation, every kindred, every tribe. This is what is implied in Luke chapter 17, where Jesus states, I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken, and the other left. Two men shall be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Here, here we see that the Lord uses the pronouns men and women. And, and, uh, that is not to, not to imply that one gender is better than the other gender or different than the other gender. 
Actually, the, the words men and women in the text are an italicized text. Anybody know what that means? It's not in the original language. That's correct. The, the translators thought it would help us understand better the, the fact that, that uh, both men and women are, are chosen and called. So they inserted men and women in there. That wasn't in the original text. It, uh, the Lord didn't imply to, to, to cause a difference there in that, in that passage. God strongly expresses, uh, this, this strongly impresses the fact that God doesn't show favoritism in saving one over another. So, with the time we have this morning, I want to look at the magnitude of the grace of God. You know, first of all, let me say this. The grace of God is seen in past history. Letter A on your study sheet. It is seen in past history. I think, some of, I think sometimes people think that grace was something that began at Calvary. But the truth of the matter is that God's grace reached all the way back to the beginning of creation, all the way back to the very, very foundation of the earth. Uh, God reached back in history, and, and grace is seen in, in all of this. But in Genesis chapter 6, we read, beginning at verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So we see all the way back to the, to the beginning of mankind, <clears throat> we see that the grace of God already existed. God had already provided for, uh, for, for a remnant of people. Even though God was going to wipe clean the earth, He chose Noah to, 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 to preserve and to continue uh, the seed of Adam. He chose Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, it's... It's important here that we understand that Noah didn't find grace because he was somebody special, because he did great things. We need to understand that uh, grace, is, as we've learned, is, is given freely by God and distributed as God sees according to his will and purpose. Uh, this man and his family were the only exception to the general apostasy of the time. God always reserved some, even in the worst of times, for himself. You remember when I was preaching recently, I talked about Elijah. And Elijah, when, Ahab, when, when uh, uh, Jezebel told, her, told him that she was going to slay him, he, he, he went and hid in the wilderness. And, and there he complained to the Lord that he was the only one that was standing for righteousness. Remember we... We looked at that. Well, in First uh, Kings chapter 19, God reminds Elijah, he says, Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. So here Elijah thought he was all alone in his stand for God, yet God reminded Elijah that he, he had 7,000 men who were prepared 
to serve Him. And God always has a remnant of people, even, even, even in the worst of times, even in the worst of situations, even in the worst of conditions, God's grace is present. Uh, there was a remnant according to the election of grace, and the same is true today. In Romans chapter 11, Paul writes, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite, the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Uh, watch ye not that the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh interception, intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men. Even so, at this present time, also, Paul says, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And let me just say that even today, in 2015, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. There are still God's people. We are still here. And we will be here. We have always been here. And we will always be here. And the magnitude of God's grace is not limited to one short, brief span of history. It goes all the way back to the foundation of the earth and will continue forward, as we will see in a moment. It is seen in past history. Noah did not find grace because he built the ark. That's a work. Building the ark is a work, and, and grace does not come by our works. We read a moment ago, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But he didn't find that grace because he built the ark. In fact, Noah was not saved because he built the ark. Now, the ark preserved him, but he wasn't saved because of the ark, because don't you think that if God chose, he could have sank the ark? If Noah had built an ark of his own, of his own, uh, or if he had built a means of, of flotation for his own purposes, don't you think God would have been capable of sinking that? Of course he would have been. So the ark didn't save Noah. God saved Noah. And God didn't, didn't, Noah didn't find grace because he built the ark. He built the ark because he had the grace of God. And, and he submitted to God and God's authority. God's grace was already present. It wasn't Noah's work. It was the grace of God. He built the ark because he was in submission to God. And we do the things we do as, as believers. Why do we do them? We do them because we submit to God. Amen? Right? That's why we do them. Now, go back again. Paul said, he said that Israel was zealous. They had a zeal. But it was out of ignorance. There's a lot of people today who, who in their minds are serving God. And, and we're not necessarily to look down on those people, but we are to try to enlighten them and, and show them the truth. But we submit to God because of His grace. His grace enables us to submit to Him. Listen, before, before God saved me, I had no interest in church. I had no interest in religious things. None whatsoever. It's the grace of God that drew me. It's the grace of God that compels me. And I hope today it's God's grace that compels you to submit to him daily and to, to walk with him and, and, and do things for him. 
Noah, Noah didn't, didn't even know, he wouldn't have even known to build the ark until it was too late if it hadn't been for God revealing the truth to him, right? I mean, once the rain started, it was all over with. Noah wouldn't have had time to, it took him 120 years to build the ark. He couldn't just run down to the local hardware store and buy a, buy a boatload of lumber and, and an air hammer and, and, and put it all together in, in 24 hours or 48 hours. It took him 120 years. Do you realize what he had to do? He had to go find the trees. He had to chop them down. He had to cut all the limbs off. He had to plane them. He had to shape them into boards. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't imagine trying to build a ship as big as he... It, it, that was, the ark was bigger than a modern day aircraft carrier. And he and his sons did it all. So, we see the grace of God in, in, in Noah's life and in the ark. And, and him even knowing that he needed an ark. Him being warned of things that had never been, no one had ever seen rain. You imagine when he stood there and said, hey, it's going to rain. What's rain? Water's going to fall out the sky. Can you imagine the? He was a laughing stock. People made fun of him. God revealed his plans to Noah because Noah was under God's grace. And God at times reveals things to us. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever experienced that? When you're when you're in a, when you're at a point where you don't know what to do and you go to God and you pray and you ask for guidance and a certain pathway just kind of just comes and, and, and God lights it up and you follow it and you're in his will. God, God, because of his grace, steers us and guides us. So we can see that God's grace reached all the way back to the beginning of time. But then, secondly, today I want us to see that grace can be seen in present circumstances. God's grace is seen in our present circumstances, not only in past history, but the magnitude of, God, of, grace, of God's grace is in eternity past, but it's also in the present. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul states, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Now, there is one thing that is common to all men. There's one thing that's common to every one of us here. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. Every one of us goes through heartache. Heartache is common to all men. Now, we have, we have the, the high times. And we have the times in our life when we are joyous and when things are going well. And when we're just as happy as little clams in the salt water, just, just as happy as can be. But we also have all experienced the, the, the midnights, the dark times when, when things aren't going right. When everything around us seems to be crashing down. When, when, we, when we don't see any possible way we can get through it. Have you ever been there? I've been, I've been through that many times in my life, and I will go through it many more times in my life. Heartache is, is common to man. We, we go through so many, we go through financial problems, don't we? 
Have you ever had financial troubles? If you haven't, come see me. I can give you a few. And you can experience the, the joy of the sorrow of financial problems. I can help you out there. We have all marital problems. How many of you have been married more than three years? Raise your hand. Then you've had marital problems. I guarantee it. Maybe not super critical problems, but you've had some problems. Uh, I mean, men, we, we're handicapped. We, we, we have what's called foot and mouth disease. It's genetic, and we can't get around it. And uh, I've many times put my foot in my mouth. You know, I often say men understand the term uh, seeking God's face better than women do. Because we're always seeking our wife's face, aren't we? We, we mess up, and then we, we, we come home with flowers and candy and cards, and, and we're trying to get her to forgive us. And, and this is kind of what it is when men seek the face of God. We're, it's kind of like trying to, to, to love the Lord. And to make up for all of our, our shortcomings. Marital problems. Family problems. We've all been through them. Uh, illnesses. Uh, death. All these things. Heartaches come in all these forms and we all face them. But even despite all of this, we go forward. Despite all of these heartaches and all of the suffering, we, we keep going, don't we? That, that's the one thing in the human spirit God gives us the ability to overcome. He gives us the ability to conquer difficulties and, and to, to go forward. And, and that's what Paul is talking about. In Romans chapter 8, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Listen, we need to remember something today. This world is not our home. I have a home in heaven. God has prepared a mansion for me. I'll never hunger in heaven. I'll never thirst. I'll never lack for anything in heaven. You see, sometimes we forget that. And we live as if this life on earth is the only thing we've got. And so, if things don't go just the way we want them to go, we get all, pardon my French, we get all bummed out. Sometimes I see Christian people, their lips dragging the floor as they walk. And I say, what, what's, what's wrong with you? Good grief. Do you remember what you, who you are? If, if we suffer a little, a little while on this earth, is that, that's not, that's what Paul said, that's not to be compared to the glory that awaits us in Christ. You know, you're looking at one of the richest men in the world. That is, if you're looking at me, if you're looking at the floor or something. I don't, have, I don't have very much money in my bank account, but I'm the richest man in the world because, number one, I'm a child of the king. Number two, 
I've got a wonderful family who loves me. All of which know the Lord and will be, will all be together in eternity. I have a wonderful church where I can serve God. I have wonderful friends. What more can I want? We need to understand that God's grace is sufficient in our present circumstances. We should never be under our circumstances. We should always be above our circumstances. Remember, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Now, a moment ago I read Paul, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians that God would never tempt us above what we are able, but even with the temptation will make a way to escape. And the way that we escape is by the grace of God. It is God's grace that gives us our escape. What, what is it that gives us strength when we're weak? What is it that gives us courage when we're distraught? What is it that gives us joy when we are sorrowed? It is the grace of God. It is the knowledge that God is aware of what we're going through and that He Himself is watching over us. Consider, consider some of the men in history. Consider Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did they actually get thrown into the furnace? Don't go to sleep on me. Yeah, they did. God didn't deliver them from the furnace. He delivered them through the furnace. They went into the furnace. And King Nebuchadnezzar looked down and said, Hey, hey, didn't we throw three men in there? Yes, King, we threw three men. He said, Well, I see four walking around. And the fourth is as unto the Son of God. See, God, God didn't deliver them from the furnace. He delivered them through the furnace. What about Daniel? Hmm? Daniel did go into the den of lions, didn't he? So God didn't, didn't deliver him from the lions. He delivered him through the den, through the lions. Paul. Paul got his head chopped off. So God didn't deliver him from death. God delivered him through death. And you and I need to stop trying to have a perfect life that never has sorrow, that never has uh, trials or tribulations. When, when they do come, and they will, you, you either have just come through a trial, you're about to go into one, or there's one waiting for you down the road. We don't need to fear them. We don't need to sorrow in them. We need to rejoice in the grace of God, which will see us through to the other side. These men all suffered, but, but made it through by God's grace. So God's grace is seen in our present circumstances. So rejoice today. Rejoice and be glad. Our, our God is sitting in heaven. He's on the throne. This is the day we commemorate that even the grave could not hold Jesus. That he came out of the grave. He came through his grave clothes. And he arose. Victorious. Over death and over sin. And we are his children. So rejoice and be glad. Count, count yourself worthy to suffer in this life. Knowing that we have God's grace to support us through it all. 
So God's grace is seen in, in past history. It's seen in present circumstances. But also I want us to understand today that God's grace is seen in prospective victory. In prospective victory. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. I've, I've preached, I've talked about this before. What, what are we today? What are we? Are, are we, uh, are we web designers? Are we psychologists? Are we auto mechanics? What are we today? We are God's children. We are the redeemed of Christ who happen to design web pages and who happen to counsel people and who happen to fix cars, which I might be seeing you soon. What we do doesn't define us. Who we are defines us. We are God's children. And God's grace is seen in the, in the, in the fact that we have the victory. We've already won. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, you know, in the old Western movies. I used to love to watch Western movies when I was a kid. And no matter how bad it looked for the guy in the white hat in the middle of the movie, you always knew that he was going to ride off into the sunset at the end of the movie. Right? Some of you are too young to remember those old westerns. You know, the, the guys in the white hat, you ever notice they never ran out of bullets? They had 250,000 shooters because they never, and when they did run out of bullets, they would throw their gun. They would, they were riding on their horse, they turn around and shoot and you'd see a bad guy fall and there were 35 bad guys shooting at them and not a one of them could hit him. And then if he ran out of bullets, he'd throw his gun and three or four more would fall off their horses. He was charmed. He was going to win. No matter what, he was going to win. Hey, guess what? We're the guys in the white hats. Oh, life may take us through death. It will. If, if the Lord doesn't come, we're going to see death. We're going to taste death, but we won't be controlled by death. David said, I was young and I'm now old, but I've never seen God's righteous begging bread. God's going to take care of us. Now, he may take care of us depending upon our faithfulness to him and our obedience to him. That care can be a lot better or it can be a little less. But God is always there. He's always going to provide for us. He's always going to take care of us. That's why I always tell young people, don't be afraid to make the right choice. Don't be afraid to do the right thing. Even if it looks like you're going to stand alone, because you won't, first of all, because Jesus will be with you. 
And your pastor will be with you. And many of the people in this church will be with you. So you won't be alone. But also, young people, remember, by taking a stand, sometimes you encourage other young people to to step forward, too. Don't be afraid. On, On your workplace, don't be afraid to stand for truth and righteousness. Even if it costs you your job. If, you, if your employer asks you to do something that you shouldn't do, something that, that would not be right to do, just don't be afraid to stand up and say, no, I, I won't do that. I'm sorry. Even if it costs you your job. Because the Lord is going to reward you for your faith and your, your submission and obedience. We have the victory. We, we are the winners. The victory is ours. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Victory is ours if we just don't give up, if we just don't quit. I have a statement on your sheet. I'll give you that and then we'll be done. It's this. A man's character is not measured by what it takes to make him start, but by what it takes to make him quit. It's easy to start something. It's a lot harder to finish it. So just don't quit. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap If we faint not. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul didn't quit. And Paul went through a lot, by the way. And Paul didn't have to go through all of that, because he was was one of the upper, one of the upper uh, classmen, if you will, in, in, in the Sanhedrin and in the, in the Pharisees, Paul could have been a, a, a successful man all his life, but he laid it all aside and he chose to follow the Lord and he never quit. He never looked back. He finished his course. He kept the faith. He fought a good fight. And that's what we need to do, folks. Just don't quit. Don't quit on your marriage. Don't quit on your family. Don't quit on your faith. Don't quit on the Lord. Just keep on going. Don't give up. All right, folks. Well, that's all the time I have. So thank you for being here this morning, and you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church. 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.